Uh, Y'all, as we are uh, embarking on what we call a journey of generosity, um, unpacking a little bit of that last week at at, uh, Curb Event Center, I just want to refresh our our minds on this. Um, It is following Jesus on a journey of generosity. This morning, Rob is uh, at, at the Brentwood campus, and he's teaching this message on Jesus and generosity. And um, when we think of that, what we, what, the process as we understand it and see it is for invitations. And so it's Jesus's invitation to the first disciples, was it not when he said, come? And that's the first invitation on the journey of generosity to come, to come to Christ. We're gonna express that in prayer as we're praying over this season, as we pray continually in Paul's words. It's come and then it's see. And this is that sense to which we would see God at work. That in the process, uh, you know, I was talking to someone in the foyer after the first service and she was saying that things that are happening in her world, but she just made this statement. She said, but I see God at work. And y'all, we're gonna see God at work in this process in and through us in ways that we, we could never imagine. Come, see, and then give. And please note, we're continually reminding ourselves the give here is give your life. Give your life away. It's Jesus when he said, if you wanna live, lose your life. If you, if, you, if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you wanna try and hang on to it, you lose it. And it's not about give toward 15 million. It's give your life. This is the beginning of any step of faith. It's your life. And all other things follow, come see, give. And in that way, we live. What do we mean we live? We live, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, that it might be overflowing life. And when we live that life, y'all, this is the beauty of this virtuous cycle of generosity. Come, see, give, live. When we live in the abundance of Jesus's life in and through us, then we actually are inviting others to come. See, give, live, and that cycle never ends. This morning, we're gonna look at that cycle in a, I think, in a wonderful way. It's been so fun this morning to look at it in the story, uh, a story that has a lot of threads, but we're gonna pull one thread of a story. Every generous life, you know, it, it, it can look so different in different people's lives, but there's always these underlying threads, these underlying themes that, 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 that are present in the generous life. And we're going to pull on some of those themes this morning through the story of Mike Vogt and James Bach. And you're going to get this story unfolded, so I won't say any more related to that. Mike, I want you to come up and join us. Mike's one of our elders. Mike Vogt, James Bach, one of our partners, our global partners in South Sudan. Uh, James, you guys come on up here. And uh, we're just gonna have a conversation with you. And I'm gonna let Mike lead us and tell us this story. And together, together, I, I, this has happened over these last two services. You begin to see what the generous life is and what it does and what it means. Mm, very good. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Um, yeah, so my name is Mike, uh, and it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I have had the privilege of um, being to South Sudan a handful of times uh, to visit with this guy, and the first time I did that was back in 2006, and I was sharing at the last service that um, the people who know me well 
Uh, they know I kind of uh, count my life in two different parts, the time of my life before I met James Bach and the time of my <laughs> life after I met James Bach because it had a significant impact on my life. Uh, so we're gonna share this morning uh, sort of four different stories of generosity uh, and how it has changed lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the first one we're gonna talk about a little bit is the story of James. Um, by the way, um, to understand and tell this well would be this much time, and we've got this much time. We've got 35 minutes in church today. So we're gonna, we're gonna miss a lot of the details, but give you an opportunity to hear more of the details at a different time. But I wanna invite James to share a little bit. He's sort of the first chapter of the story. And I wanna invite you to share a little bit about the generosity that you received when you were a, a young boy, I, I think you're about 13 at the time, in a refugee camp. You, re, you were the recipient of some generosity at that time. Yes, um, yes. Uh, I, li I was born in a village and lived up to age of 13, yes, and then leave our village to a refugee camp uh, in Ethiopia. And uh, at the refugee camp, uh, a friend of mine who was a Christian, he invited me to go to the church for the first time. And I, uh, so when I came, I sat behind at the end there to hear what, what is happening. And luckily enough, I got uh, a pastor. He was preaching from John 3, 16, that God loved the world and gave his only son so that anybody who believe in him will not die but have eternal life. That message had an impact in my life. I found my, myself crying, and after the service, actually I wanted the pastor to continue just talking. <laughs> but by the way, he ended the service. So I ran to where they are, and I was able to explain to them what, what is happening to me. Uh, they talked to me and put me in a, cla uh, in a catechism class uh, where I was taught and baptized and became part of the church. And the church members, they were very nice to me. They become my parents. They were uh, giving me a lot, mentoring me a lot of things. And I was able to learn the word of God. Mm. Was able to go to school within the church and was able, in three months, I was able to read the Bible in my own mother tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, that as I read the, the, the word of God, uh, I find myself crying most of the time. So that was the, the thing that I have received. With the, that is the gift that I received from God's people during that time. While continuing the refugee camp, I met a missionary man called Mark Nickel. He was a missionary from California, but he went to South Sudan to go and uh, uh, to be a missionary there. So we were able to meet, and uh, he, he asked me to share with him my history, how I moved from home, and I was able to share with him. Uh, he said, there is something that God is doing in your life and I'm going to help you to, uh, to take you out of the camp so that you can go to school in Kenya. And so he sponsored me for four years for a primary school education. Uh, I mean, secondary school education. So I was able to receive the gospel, was able also to receive uh, the education. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um by the way, those two things, had you, uh, growing up in Vietnam, had you ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and what, how much education was available to the people in your village? Uh, there was none. There was no education. I have not asked the gospel. Uh, I have never heard of it. And uh, my parents, were, they were not Christian, and there is none in our village. Mm -hmm. There was no school, no hospital, nothing. 
what you're gonna hear this morning as we look at these four different chapters of generosity, so to speak, is that there's a theme. Uh, generosity is first an act of receiving. James was a recipient of generosity. He heard the gospel and became a Christian and a missionary reached into his own pocket and paid the fees for James to receive a high school education, something that no one in his village had ever had before. Okay, we're gonna fast forward the clock a little bit. James is still in the refugee camp and James would be classified broadly uh, as being part of a group of people called the Lost Boys of Sudan. There was about 20,000 of them and they had walked a long distance to find safety in a refugee camp. The United Nations learned about the plight of the Lost Boys and they had offered to do an international program to sponsor resettlement of the Lost Boys uh, to either go to um, Europe or to go to Canada or to go to the USA. Um, James had received both of these two gifts uh, uh, in the refugee camp, but the United Nations was saying to him, hey, we will give you a chance to start a brand new life. Here's an envelope. Would you like to go to America and start afresh? What was your response when you received the envelope yeah. with the golden ticket? Yes, uh, for us, for all the lost boys, it was we are all eligible to come, those who want to come to the United States, and there were forms that are being filled. At this point in time, I had received this gift. The word of God was burning in my heart. I knew nobody know it, know the word of God in the village. I wanted to go back. And then also I have education that, no one in our village have. But then there was this golden opportunity to come to the United States. A place that we were hearing during that time is the best place on earth, the best country, only just next to heaven. It's one step. <laughs> and so for us, uh, it's not an opportunity that you want to leave. It's an opportunity that you want to go. So I was torn apart coming to the United States or going back home. I closed myself in the room and pray that, God, I want to go to the U.S., but God was telling me, you go back home. And that message was very clear. I struggled with it, and actually I had taken the forms that to be filled. I returned the form without filling it. And the officer there said, why are you returning your form? You have not filled it. I said, I don't want to go to the United States. I want to go back home. He said, what is still going on in Sudan? What? What? What if you are going to be killed? I said, uh, if, if I am killed and there are thousands of people that have died, it makes no difference. And I walk away, he saw me like a crazy boy. So I left. Uh, I left and finally was able to come back, to went back to my community in South Sudan. It has been 13 years without hearing from my parents. I, some people have told me that they were killed a long time ago. I didn't know whether they were alive. I was just going back to the village to share the gospel with anybody I found in the village. Mm -hmm. And that decision, I was able to go back. So James receives two gifts. He receives the gospel and he receives an education. And rather than take those two gifts and say, thank you, I'm going to the USA, he takes those two gifts and feels a responsibility to then pay them or share them with his people who had not received either of those gifts. So James receives an investment and then chooses to reinvest in his people which is incredible. I first met James in 2006, by the way. Here's a picture of us at our first meeting. You can tell that's a lot of hair ago for both of us. Um, we both look remarkably younger uh, in that photo. Um, but I met James in 2006. I think Sandy was on the same trip on this. So Sandy, it's <laughs> fun to relive this moment with you. Um, but I go to South Sudan. And the reason I go is that there's a member on our staff named Meredith Kinder. 
And he said, Mike, you need to go to South Sudan, or at the time it was part of Sudan. I said, why on earth would that be the case? He says, we need you to help with pastor training. I said, tell me why you need me to help with pastor training. He's like, because you, you've been to Bible school and you've been to seminary. You know a lot about Christianity and you could help teach. I'm like, okay. He's like, Mike, you gotta understand, these are pastors that have never had access to seminary. I'm like, oh. He says, I think you could help out. So I go on this trip to South Sudan. I meet James Bach for the first time. And the investment that I have received, the generosity that I have received in my education uh, to study my faith, I get to South Sudan and I realize I'm teaching pastors, many of whom don't even own a Bible. And they're teaching their people about Christianity. And so I get there and I realize, wow, I don't feel like I have much, but what I have, I can help out with. Um, and I remember calling my wife on that first trip on one of the evenings and I'm kind of a little teary and she says, what's wrong? I said, babe, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel really useful here. And I was running a business at the time. I had a lot of employees. We were servicing a lot of customers, but I felt useful in a way that I had never felt before. And I was investing, I was giving back with what I had received. And I was working alongside this guy who with passion wanted to give the gospel and education, but with resources that were only this big. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, during that time, um, especially the time that, uh, that they were going back, Mike and the team, they were all in tears in their, in their strip. They don't want to go back. Uh, they are crying and, and the village has come around and see what, what is happening. Why are these people crying? And <laughs> I, I had to push them back actually to the plane so that they can go. And they were in tears. And we, we knew there was something unique with these people, with this group. Other groups have uh, come over, they have gone, but these people were crying. That was the difference. And our community members, they never see a white man cry. They were the first time they were crying. And it was something unique. It was become a history. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the white man came and they were crying. We have never seen them. <laughs> a, a big story in our, our place. And finally, um, they went back and came back again and again and again every time in November. Mm -hmm. Lord was there and everyone was there. And that has changed not only me, but our mm -hmm. community too. Mm -hmm. You know, in the times that I've, I have had the, the privilege of, of being there, um, it, does, it does change you. And I, I want to say this, and it's, it's their generosity that changes you in part. It's them opening themselves to, to serve us, you know, even as we come to serve them, opening their community to us. Uh, but I also don't want you to miss this, you all, because James has said this in all three services, but when he talks about a 13-year-old boy sitting in the back of a church in a refugee camp. And that preacher was preaching from John 3.16. And did you catch what James said? He, he, he said, something was happening in me. Hmm. Now, that's how the gospel works. Mm -hmm. It's not, look, it's not us making people do something. It's not us opening their eyes. It is the power of the Spirit at work in a heart and God's spirit was at work in this boy's heart at 13. And as he said, I didn't know what was happening to me. Well, the, the spirit was opening his eyes and this young boy believed 
He believed. And, and I just say that to us, that for, for us, you know, we, we as we send each other, send, I'll send you out the doors a little bit later, you know, we say, we're going to help others follow Jesus. Listen, we don't have to go convince someone per se. We just go and say John three sixteen at one level. And the spirit of God at work, long before we were ever at work, to bring people to himself. This is the great privilege. And how about that, just that little moment has brought about these moments that we're gonna talk about and have talked about already. Fellowship has had a 20-some year partnership with James. This is a long, stable, global partner for us that we've invested in over a number of years. We send teams just about annually. Um, the only time we really don't go is when there's political instability over there and it's, there's a little bit of unrest. Um, but we've been investing in Vietnam and in James's ministry over the long haul. We've built clean water wells, we've built schools, we've trained pastors, done women's empowerment, uh, grain grinding mill. We've done so many things to invest in the community. And the number of stories that have come out of that are innumerable. Um, but there's one story in particular that I just have a real heart connection to, and I wanna share that story with you now. Um, they talk about James being a 13-year-old boy in the back of the room in a church. I wanna story, tell you the story of a 12-year-old boy who was in the front room of the church that I was in on my first trip to South Sudan. Uh, the picture on your screen is of a young boy named Angelo. Angelo's an orphan. And on my very first year in South Sudan in 2006, Angelo was a young boy who was sitting in the front row of the pastor training we were hosting. And you could spot him because he was holding a Frisbee. Um, so Angelo wasn't invited to pastor training, but he snuck in. I think it was the only thing going on in the village that day. And hey, there were some white people, so let's go see what's going on. Well, I'm with uh, Jeff Helton and Hunter Murray and, and we are training a group of 40 some pastors under a tree and I wasn't sure how well the group was tracking with me. So I would say, hey, who knows the answer to this question? And Angelo in the front row shoots his hand up. No one else raises their hand. I said, okay, kid, what's the answer? And he got the answer exactly. I'm like, huh, good job, he's listening. We would teach some more, you know, 10 minutes later and 15 minutes later, who knows the answer to this question? And Angelo goes, whew. <laughs> and his hand shoots up. I'm like, I'm waiting for someone else. No one. All right, Angelo, what's the answer? Got it exactly. And it became clear that this 12-year-old boy was probably the smartest guy in the room. Here's what's interesting. Angelo is an orphan. There's no orphanages in this part of the world. Angelo and his four younger siblings were all having their needs met by the goodwill of the church. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you're yes, keeping Angelo uh, alive? Yes, Angelo was... Uh, an orphan and was reported to us as child leaders. There was another pastor called Abram that we were uh, uh, pastoring the church in Vietnam. So he was reported to us. And so we, we took him in, uh, stay with us. We were able to feed him. We were able to take him to the church, became a Christian, became a Sunday school. And, and that is how he lived until uh, Mike and the team came when, he, when we were caring for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so... When we got on the plane on that first year, uh, yes, I was crying, and, but in, in our mind we're going, I wonder what comes of Angelo. I wonder what becomes of this kid who's got all, this, all these smarts. And I was thinking in my head, I bet he becomes like mayor of Vietnam <laughs> one day or something like that. Anyways, we come back the next year. We come back the year later, and Angelo is just sharp as a tack. Big, bright smile, really engaging, really interactive. And so we as a group, Lloyd included, we decided to pool our resources together and send Angelo to high school. Only challenge is that there's no high schools in Vietnam. 
So he has to go to Kenya to receive a quality high school education. And so he's also being cared for by your family when he's in Kenya. Uh, but we send Angelo away uh, for, for high school. And then he comes back to the village of Vietnam and helps to, ta- helps to serve in the village. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. After five years uh, in uh, high school, because he was uh, going to school during uh, school days and during holiday, he could come and stay with my family. So after five years, Angelo went back. And he went back to Linda School, uh, a primary school that was already active there, and become the smartest teacher in the school. Uh, every teacher was asking him uh, questions and was uh, there in Sunday school teaching, uh, teaching the, uh, teaching a lot of things in the school. And he was known. Angelo has come back, and people were better, uh, better happy until uh, they meet again with uh, Mike. Mm-hmm. So I would keep going back to Vietnam year over year over year. And I remember after he's graduated from high school, he's serving so well with the education he's been given and he's giving back to his community. And he says to me, Mr. Mike, I'd like to have a meeting with you tonight. I said, okay. And we sit down uh, you know, apart from the group and he says, I feel like God's telling me to become a doctor. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a big, beautiful dream. And it makes sense, right? He's an orphan because his parents died of treatable illnesses, but there was no medical care. He says, I feel like God is telling me to become a doctor. And I said, that's an incredible dream. I have no idea how that will happen. Didn't say that to him. I said, but I will pray for you. And uh, comes, I come back the next year. And he says, Mr. Mike, can I have a meeting with you tonight? Sure, Angelo. And we talk, he says, I feel like God's telling me to become a doctor. And I said, Angelo, I said, I love that dream, but I feel more responsibility to help you to get a high school education over here who's never been educated than to help Angelo to become a doctor. Look at the whole village. No one else has received a high school education but you. I feel more responsibility to help more of them to get to here than to help you to get to here. And he said, I understand. I said, but I will pray that the Lord will open a way. I come back the next year. Mr. Mike, I'd like to have a meeting with you. I know what's coming. And he meets with me and he says, Mr. Mike, I've decided to not become a doctor. And I said, really? I said, tell me why. And he said, because the Lord has not made a way. And I felt something break in my heart mm-hmm. when he said that. And I said, let's talk more about this. I felt like he was giving up on his dream. So we did some investigation. We got a hold of some universities and we found a university that would accept him. And Angelo enrolled in Kenya Methodist University in a six-year program to pursue a bachelor's degree of medicine and surgery. So little orphan Angela, who had a dream of becoming a doctor, goes to Kenya Methodist University. And my friends, he graduated this past December. Mm -hmm. Is that incredible? So he's finished his coursework. He's currently doing an internship so that he can get his medical license. And you know what he's doing? He's not going to Nairobi to work in a powerful, high-funded hospital to live a Grey's Anatomy lifestyle, whatever that is. Angelo is taking what he's been given and he's going home. He's going home to help his people with what he's been given. Isn't that incredible? Mm -hmm. He was the recipient of generosity and now he's gonna give generosity mm-hmm. back to his people exactly the same way that it happened to mm-hmm. James. I, I, I want y'all to catch something in this story because it strikes me as, it's, as they, we're, they're telling it. You know, the picture on the left, the right, the picture on the left. The distance between those pictures is decades. Okay, it's a decade. 
when he had, had no way to go forward. And when Mike's going through this, and I went back the next year, and I went, you know what? Years, multiple years, Mike, I know you went back. And then I'm just so grateful that Mike Vogt had the discernment, you know, not to just pay his way or try and do that, but to pray for him and encourage him. And then when he said he's not, that you, you, you didn't stop. And you know what? You hear what Mike said? Something broke in me. Do you know what that is? That's called the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. at work in us. How do we explain these things? Mm-hmm. And so you prayed, and then y'all did the work to find a school for him. So, so years that this young boy goes f- five years to go to high school away from his village, comes back, teaches years that Mike says, good for you, but I don't think I can help you. Good for you, I don't think I can help you. Good for you, I don't think I can help you. And then he gets in six years of medical school. It's medical school. And it doesn't matter if it's in Africa or at Vanderbilt, it's medical school. And then now he comes back. But I want you to feel, feel this, I hope you feel this sense of, it is a very uh, nondescript, faithful obedience in a very long direction that God uses. It's not, it's not here's the before and here's the after. No, it's, it's just nondescript faithfulness, nondescript faithfulness over time. That's where we get from the picture on the right to the picture on the left. And that's how you and I live the Christian life right here. Just faithful day after day, month after month, year after year. I don't want us to miss that because it is the Christian life. Yep, yep. So Angelo is right now on the time where he's gonna start now giving back to his people. Um, So um, as a board for James's organization, we started planning for Angelo's return. And we're like, okay, how do we outfit Angelo for success when he comes back to Vietnam to start serving in his village? He's gonna need resources. He's gonna need a place to meet. Hey, here's some bandages and here's some syringes. Good luck, go get it. No, we had to do more than that so that he could properly serve his people. What was interesting is at the time that we were determining or debating what what can this look like was the time that Fellowship Bible Church was preparing to pay off its mortgage. Do you remember the Generous God series a couple years ago? We were raising funds to pay off the remainder of our mortgage. You want to share a little yeah, bit about so, what that so campaign you know, looked like? So, you know, this picture is the meeting that we had in May when we gathered. Now, what this was, again, we talk about the wind of the Spirit. We, the, the elders, Mike's an elder, they sensed, they sensed it was time to pay off the mortgage, you know, because we had a mortgage on our Brentwood property for all those years. Around 2.5 was left on it. And so the decision you all made was to pay that mortgage off not with a campaign, long campaign, but just to come to the body and say, let's do this. Let's pray about it and let's do this. And so you remember this, we did. And, and, and the next thing that the elders came back with was they said, you know, we, we sense God calling us, if more comes in than we need, that we're not gonna hold it for future use. We're just gonna give it away. This is a picture of generosity. God puts in your hand, it flows through your hands. So they said, we're gonna give away whatever comes in above and beyond. And then as the spirit is moving, our local partner, El Shaddai, finds themselves in a position where they've been out of their church for 10 years. The 2010 flood wiped them out. That historic church, they've never been able to restore, preserve it and get back in it. They had gone through all of this red tape to get the historical 
things done to it, but they needed just over $900,000 to refurbish and be back in that church. And so we just said, y'all's elder said, let's, okay, let's give whatever comes in above and beyond what, what we need. Let's, let's give it toward uh, El Shaddai. And, and we said, okay. Well, on that day, you'll remember that Rob and I presented Pastor Ramon and Margaret with a, with a check for over $900,000. We'd already paid, we had enough to pay our mortgage off. We had $900,000 that God's grace, we gave to them, which by the way, y'all, they're within weeks, if not just a month, month or so to be back in their church facility. And then we realized, wait a minute, there's still more that you all gave. And we determined we'd put a team together to, to determine how best to allocate that and to give that away as well. And that's part of this story. There was a million dollars still that came in after we paid off El Shaddai's construction needs. And so with that left over, they were receiving proposals for how to best allocate that million dollars. So this is the time when we're debating what can we do for Angelo. We were originally gonna do something small and very simple, a place to meet a couple different patients, whatever. But we thought, you know what? I wonder if we should be thinking a little bit bigger. So we used an architect in South Sudan. We designed uh, a clinic that would be able to serve the needs of this community. Angelo is the only doctor for a region that's about 40,000 people. And so we designed a clinic and guys, we built it. We built it. You can clap. So Fellowship Bible Church provided the, the first $80,000 of seed money to construct this clinic. This is a picture of James and one of the members of our Brentwood campus, uh, Cole Barfield, um, who's connected to um, Centennial uh, downtown. He was in Vietnam last year. Um, and we, $80,000 just got us started. We needed about a quarter million dollars to be able to build this, and then we had to outfit it with medical supplies and equipment. So it started here, but we needed this much, but we were able to get it built. And James, I want you to talk a little bit about the name. Why do we call this the Achiek Women's Clinic? Uh, yes, uh, the name, the name, the name Achiek, uh, the word Achiek mean creator. That is the meaning in Denka. Uh, Achiek mean uh, uh, creator God, mm-hmm. and we we kn- we knew it was the uh, generosity of God people that make make this clinic to be existent, and so we we said creator. We want to honor God. Uh, apart from physical health, we want to uh, pray for these people. Want to counsel them. Uh, want to use it as as an infrastructure to be able to talk to people, mm-hmm. and. Um, the purpose of this clinic, over the years that I've been in Vietnam, uh, women, several women have died because they cannot give birth. If they cannot give, in our context, if a, if a woman cannot give birth, that is a death, death, death sentence. You are going to die. And so that has been over the years. We want this clinic so that if a woman have a problem, they are able to operate the child and they can be able to survive. And this Clinic is a game changer in our community, primarily for women and, and, and children, and then the whole community is benefiting. And we have started next, uh, last year, and thousands of them have been rescued in that hospital. Mm-hmm. We thank God for that. Thank mm-hmm. you for being a part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We treat men and women at the clinic, 
but because women and children have been the most vulnerable because of the lack of medical care. We've named the clinic to try to honor them and the suffering that they have endured. And mm -hmm. there's so many stories we could tell of this. The number of stories of women who are pregnant and are, are experiencing the contractions on the big day and then realize something is wrong and they go to start walking towards the nearest clinic, which is over 100 miles away, so many women just die on the roadside because mm -hmm. they can't get help. Mm -hmm. This clinic is designed to help address that mm -hmm. need. Um, so I'm, I'm just delighted that we've actually constructed this and that we're up and operating right now. We've had a, a grand opening for the clinic, so here it is kind of on the big day of the ribbon cutting and we invited the Minister of Health. It's an unbelievable story and it all started, if we rewind the clock, a missionary probably pulled $1,000 out and paid for James to go to school. If you rewind this all the way, mm -hmm. it goes back to that. Mm -hmm. What happened if he kept that money in his pocket, right? None of this would have followed. It's amazing. Uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. We're gonna come to the Lord's table um, and we're gonna celebrate that table and then we are gonna sing uh, an appropriate prayer uh, song for this season in, in the life of our church. Just a few things to grab hold of. And I hope there's so many threads, there's so many threads in this story we could pull, but, but one of the things I think, you know, I said that underlie generosity is, is certainly this, that generosity begets generosity. And, and, and that story, Mike, one of pulling that out, that someone was generous and it just kept going. And the second thing we'd certainly say is generosity changes lives. And it did, it did and it has, and it's still doing that. And change lives change the world. Mm. When we talk about this season in our church and we're solving these facility needs, facilities facilitate mission in the same way that that facility facilitates the saving of lives, literally, the same way that our facilities, look, I'm not shy about it to say, you know, we're not here to build buildings, but we need facilities to do what God has called us to. Not crazy over the top facilities, but appropriate facilities. And that's what these are. When we think about 15 million needed to do that now to add to the 15 million that the Lord's provided, I'm excited about that, you all. Because it's not, it, it's not ultimately about Commitment Sunday, here I'm giving this much money and it's not about that 15 million. I want you to think of this. It's about the next three decades and what God will pour into our community and the world through us. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. It'll be $100 million that God will, will, will distribute through us in these coming decades mm. for his glory. Yeah. That people might know Christ. <laughs> Let's stand together. I wanna invite you to take your Lord's table elements if you've got them. Can I hit one thing before you do? Yes, yes, okay? that's right. I keep so there's an there's a image on the screen here. I would love for you to have an opportunity to learn more about James and his ministry, how he became a believer, uh, the ministry that he's doing in South Sudan, and to hear more about the clinic. Again, we've got this much time this morning. We've got a couple of uh, chunks of time that we would love for you to have some opportunity to interact with James. We're meeting tonight from six o'clock until 7.30. We're providing dinner, and yes, you can bring your fellowship group if you guys are planning to meet tonight anyways. Bring your kids. But this is an open opportunity to meet with James uh, in the crew room back at Fellowship Franklin tonight from six to 7.30. Again, dinner provided. And if tomorrow night's a better fit for you, then come to Brentwood. We're meeting in the barn 
Same time, 6 to 7.30, you can bring your kids. Dinner is provided. We hope that you'll come and learn more about his remarkable story and the needs of the clinic. Let's take those elements, take the bread and the cup, if you would. And we come to this table, y'all, week by week. This is the greatest measure of generosity in the universe. It's the story from Genesis to Revelation that God has sent his son to redeem us, to save us, to bring him to to bring us to himself. Mike said it, I wanna remind you, when we talk about generosity, it always begins with receiving. It's not, hey, be generous to give. No, it's you receive. Generosity is about receiving the bounty that God gives us. And when we think of it that way, here's where we go. Uh, Everything I have, God has given. All is gift. And our hands suddenly open to distribute all that God has given to us and steward it for his glory. Lord Jesus, on the cross, your body was broken. We hold this bread and we're mindful of that week after week at great cost to save us. And even in these words, we recognize that it is gift. Receive the bread. Jesus, your blood was poured out. Life is in the blood. You gave your life in our place. At this table, we remember that. But we also proclaim that there's coming a day when you're coming back to set all things right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Receive the cup. James, would you pray for Fellowship Bible Church in this season that God would bless, that we would find him faithful as he always is and that we would choose steps of faith and see him in ways that we can hardly imagine. Would you pray for us? I've asked James to pray in his native tongue. Uh, You won't understand the words, but oh, you will feel it in your heart. Pray for us, James. Let us pray. Nyalin Madala Legend Ben Kuyagin Yesa Piagdo Ben Kurialdu Panyal. Leiku Niedu Bandit in Leiku Didun Leiku Kai Piandu. In Leiku Kanisa Dun Fellowship in Chai Kalata Baitan in Nyali. A Jachombin Loy Dolo Pinu. In a Tiku in Nyali Madal Bakadoi, Bagakoin Kajur Kajiban. Bagakoin Bandit, Bigging it, Bigilo in Nyali Madal. A Jatawich in Rialdu and Nyal. Bagakoin Bandit, Biglo Loy Kupinum, Binkadoi. A good key and she gold choke, Tabaka long than below in the alley. A tea ogi in Lonada, in a boy, a baka bay, where Baker can law in the alley. Blood a pad, Tabaka door. In Shuglej Manda Oke, Runicadia, Jalalon Chigloe, Unchike Okoi, Ebu Latuenko Loe, Panduin Bainit, Bupandu Bugik, Ubaoko in the alley, Bayatoi, Bajong Dinulaji, Bachor Toy, Buluri Aldonial. A cathy you get an in. Amen. And may we sing this prayer. The posture of generosity is a posture of utter surrender and surrendering all. This is our prayer and our song.